Hello and welcome to Radio, um, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Uh, my name is Ross Drakes and I'm your host today and I'm here with Connor Neal who is many things. He is the president of Vistage in Spain. He is the professor of leadership at ISA Business School which has been rated the top business school in the world by Financial Times and he calls himself a teacher and not a professor. So welcome Connor. Thank you, Ross. Pleasure to join you and speak to the listeners on this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I think for the benefit of everyone who's listening, uh, the, the same question I ask everyone, give us your, your elevator pitch. Well, probably my elevator pitch begins when I'm 14 years old. Up to the age of 14, I lived in Dublin, went to a little school, about 300 people. And when I was 14, my father came home, took us to our grandparents and said, we're moving to Chicago. And I left behind, behind Dublin, a little school of 300 people, and arrived in Chicago in a school that had 4,000 students in the high school. And I think I, I hated that change, but I met the person who had the greatest effect on my life, Mr. Matz. Mr. Matz was a teacher of biology, but uh, in reality, what he taught us was far bigger than biology. He started every day saying, it's a great day. And to a cynical 14-year-old Irish boy, an American with a smile every day, it felt a bit artificial, but it was so consistent. And his first introduction to us, he held up the biology textbook and he said, how much is this worth? group of 14-year-olds mumbling, $30. And he said, if at the end of this year, you've learned everything in this book, you're worth $30 more. This class is not about what's in the book. If at the end of this year, you've become curious about the world, if you've learned to ask questions, if you look at a tree and see how it connects to all the things around it, you're infinitely more valuable. That's what this course is about. And the other thing that he left me that has been a habit in my life ever since I was 14. The last five minutes of class, we were to have our pens touching paper in our journal. And when he first asked us to do this, I thought it was a stupid activity. When day two, I realized he wasn't even going to read it. But I have written down five, six minutes where I am, what I'm thinking about, what I'm worried about, the questions I have every day of my life since I was 14. Wow. Uh, and I think that, both that attitude to life that he had, of not just that today is a great day, but your attitude makes such a difference on the people around you. That wasn't part of my childhood in Ireland. People didn't think the future was going to be any different than today. His attitude that what you learn in school, it's not the content of the book that matters. It's the curiosity that you rise and the, how people are different. Uh, so I, I hated the move from Ireland to the US at that critical time, at age 14, when girls are starting to be an important part of your life. And I, I went from being somewhat cool to an outsider. But I think you know, meeting Mr. Matz changed what I do in my life. I don't think I would ever have been an entrepreneur had I spent all my life growing up in, in Europe. America has this, over the last 30 years, America has grown 2% faster than Europe. 
And I don't think it's just because it's a market that speaks the same language of 300 people, 300 million people. I think it comes down to, in Europe, when you have a new idea, most of your friends will say, that's been done, that's been tried. In America, you could have the dumbest idea possible and half the people around are going, that's amazing. So I think that this energy, we're currently in Washington, D.C., and I think over the last couple of decades, every year I've been a week or two in the U.S. because this attitude of seeing the future with positive eyes, mm. of just looking at the billboards and seeing the new things that are happening here. There's a saying that the, the future is already here. It's just poorly distributed. I think by getting up from wherever you live and getting on an airplane, you can see some parts of the future and sometimes you can see some parts of the past. It's so. also a wonderful, I mean, travel is one of the, my passion points. Mm. And I think what I enjoy about it is that you, you get a perspective on what you do and don't like about what your environment at home is like. So you get an opportunity to see a new culture and a new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide what you would like to assimilate to that or what you don't like about that. And quite often it also reflects back what you do like about where mm-hmm. you do live. Um, I know South Africans have a, a habit of saying how bad everything is, but coming to places like this, you realize that some of the things we take for granted, like friendly people, mm-hmm. open people, open space, yep. good weather, like they're just, they're not everywhere, you know, <laughs> and we take them for granted and you only see the negative. So that's well, kind of what I enjoy about looking it. Looking out the window on a Washington that is currently covered in snow, sleet falling down. Some of the people who are with their flights are being delayed. So, yes. yeah, it's probably sun shining in Barcelona and back in, in South Africa. I, I met there was a, a Japanese participant I had in, in a course a few years back, and he said something that, that impacted me on this question of travel and meeting new people. And he said that... Uh, the only way you get to know who you are right now is through the eyes of a stranger because your parents don't see you as you are today. Your parents see the young boy they remember and that they still are attached to. Your friends don't see you as you are today. They see the person that they first met and that they enjoy being with. The only person that allows you to realize who you've become is someone that meets you for the first time today. It's a powerful and, thought, that. And I guess, you know, th- this week you and I have been part of Global Leadership Academy. 30 people, 30 entrepreneurs from all over the world have come. And for some, it's the first time that they've set eyes on one another. And I, I think, you know, the experience of forum with a group of people that on Sunday afternoon were complete strangers and today... There's bonds of support, shared vision, deep human connections. Relationships that are going to last a lifetime. Yeah. But beginning with the person you are now, not attached to the person you were a year ago or 10 years ago. And I think this this idea, one of the things you get through travel isn't that you learn about other cultures. It's you get to see yourself with new eyes. I do also think that when I talk of Mr. Matt and the change he had in me, up till Mr. Matz, I don't think any other human being looked at me and saw the real me. 
Mr. Matz, he saw that I was capable of something bigger than I had ever witnessed. And I think, you know, anyone who's a successful entrepreneur here, that's anyone listening to this podcast, we have got to where we are today because somebody has seen potential in us. Someone has supported us when perhaps even we didn't realize. And, you know, that the power, Warren Rustand, who's with us here this week, uh, looks us into the, into the eyes and, and sees our potential. And I think it's an incredibly powerful thing to travel, to see how strangers react to the you of today. Today. And I love, you know, you've sort of touched on, on something. I mean, as you shared, we have the Global Leadership Academy and Warren has been, Warren and George Gann have been taking us through some transformative lessons over the last few days. And one of the things I really appreciate is, is how he impressed upon us the importance of leadership but not to just lead but to unlock your value because if you unlock more of your value and more of your potential then you have an obligation to share that and to uplift people and to to instead of think about your small you know in your small box you climb out of that box and you realize that there's a much bigger box and, yep. and potentially move on to much greater well, greater things in one of the books that i think every human being should read it uh, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl survived four years in the Nazi prison camps. And one in 33 of the people that entered the prison camp system at the same time as him were still alive when they were freed by the, the Allied armies. And he said it wasn't accident, it wasn't by luck. Those that survived had one of three types of purpose that meant that they were able to overcome whatever came their way. And the first type of purpose is you're, you need to survive because somebody else needs you. So he said there were people in the, in the prison camp who they didn't ask about their own life, their own suffering. They knew that their wife or their kids were out there somewhere. And when this comes to an end, they will need me. And no matter what hits you in each day, you're going to be strong enough to get through because you're not doing it for yourself. Someone else needs you. The second purpose was a project only you can complete. And this was Viktor Frankl's purpose. When he was in the prison camp, he had scribbled on tiny pieces of paper with a stolen pencil the notes of this book. And <clears throat> he, the book is... One half is his witness account of the prison camps, of what was happening. And the other half is his approach to how do you help another human being find a meaning in their life that is sufficient, that they can, they can overcome whatever life has for them. Uh, and he knew that if he didn't survive, this book would not reach the world. So he had to survive to put this book into the world. And that book and saved his life. So that book was both saved his life and then gave him a life yeah. very much afterwards. But, uh, you know, to find a project and see yourself uh, as, as the vehicle for getting this project into the world, that your ego is just a noise. You are a vehicle to put in place a bigger project than yourself. I think we heard some people talk today and yesterday of a feeling that they feel that the dream has them. 
It's not that they have the dream. Yes. A project has captured them. There's something that they today, were selected. Yeah. They, they didn't choose it. It's been so. And what's interesting is his third type of meaning that is sufficient that a human can overcome whatever life has for them. He. It's a hard one to understand. What he says is, you begin to see meaning in the suffering itself. And I think the first time I read the book Man's Search for Meaning, I didn't understand this third one. I could get the first one. A purpose, I, I want to survive for my two daughters. You want to be able to give to your son something. You need to be there so that he has the beginnings of a life that allow him to then go on and live the full to potential his purpose, of his yeah. life. Uh, you know, The second is easy to understand, whether it's a book to write, a podcast to make a business that the next 10 years of building wouldn't happen unless you were present. But this third one, that you begin to find meaning in the suffering itself. And I think that to be human, no animal would willingly suffer pain. The only species on this planet that is capable of willingly suffering is a human. And I, I think when I go for a run, and there was a time I would run a long way, and, and in a way it's my form of meditation. But there comes a time where you are in pain. When you're, when you're running 20 miles, your knee is going to hurt at some stage. Yes. And the pain is guaranteed. The suffering, the, the ability to choose to carry on through the pain is something only a human can do. And I think there's, there is something deeply meaningful in realizing that actually you can push through the pain. You can use choice to overcome something that no other species would be able to do. I love that. I mean, it ties into, so I forget her surname. What was it? Shiley? Um, what was it? Bat Batnet. Shiley so sure Batnet. She's messed this up completely. Yeah, but. we'll share a link so, <laughs> so don't, don't judge us on this. Um, but she shared a story with us. She was one of the first... Oh, one of the, uh, I think one of 15 women who climbed Mount Everest, uh, you know, she was, she was a, a young Nepalese woman and she's gone on to become one of the greatest mountain climbers or mm. female mountain climbers, or well, not even female, but greatest mountain climbers of all time. And has started to use her experience and her knowledge in mountaineering to help other women in small villages overcome huge adversity. And she introduced that idea or an idea that was, she believes that the world is on this journey and the humanity is on this journey from, from no understanding to, to understanding. Mm -hmm. And everyone gets there eventually. What determines the time is the intensity of the moments that you live. And I think it, these echo each other. So if you are in a deeply trying time or a deeply intense time or you go through something that fundamentally changes you and you come out the other side, you've moved further on that journey quicker. Whereas yep. if you live in the Bahamas and you sip on cocktails every day, your journey is a much slower one because you mm -hmm. are the intensity is, is not there. Yeah, you know, I think anyone who is a member of EO will have seen the Lifeline. And Lifeline is very much a part of the early forum training where you share your life, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows. Not the middles. Not the middles. <laughs> yeah. and, and I guess this is you know, part of the EO approach to life. We don't want the middles. We want 
the five percent. The stuff that you would find you don't know how to to approach and to deal with, and you need a special group with the with the agreement of a forum to begin to understand your life with their help. But you know, I've probably seen over forty five thousand people's lifeline over the last decade and a half, and. You know, there's some lifelines where there's a lot of low moments. And sometimes I see someone who's quite proud to show a lifeline and it's just all positive. And they look at me with a smile. And I actually, I feel sadness because I, I think life, we only really learn what we're capable of when we face struggle. And there's a saying, I remember I, I was told in a tough time in my life, an American woman at a train station. I'd never met her. We, we talked for a few minutes and she just looked me in the eyes and she said, God would never give you a problem. He did not know that you were able to overcome. And when she said it, my feeling was, I wish he'd just give me a week off because right now I could do it just a break. Yeah. But I know if I look back at my life, those times of struggle for me, 2008, when Lehman Brothers collapsed, I had a business in aviation and we went from a you know, quarter of a million turnover per month to zero. So September 2008, we just dropped to no planes moving. And uh, those times, it was just a desperate struggle to keep the project alive. And you know, I think when I look back at my life now, I learned more about myself, more about what life really is about more about this third idea from Viktor Frankl what meaning in the suffering itself is because I passed through that time and you know today I can look back and say I'm grateful that that happened when I was 33 uh, I almost feel sad that someone has a lifeline where nothing really bad happens till they're 60 I wish for so many of us that you face a major life crisis young enough that you can learn what life is and really value what life is. And I guess you know this week here with with Warren Rustan with George is becoming very intentional about the use of our life. Yes. Very intentional about an awareness that it's a, 40, it's a finite thousand seconds. Yeah. It's finite. What are you going to do with them? And we have a choice. Uh, that there's a. I don't know if it's Mark Twain or who this comes from, but he says that uh, we live two lives. The first is until we realize that we only have one. And yeah, this, this moment really for me came during 2008, dealing with just everything falling apart around me. It wasn't just business, but a family crisis. And... It's I funny think. how they always seem to stack up. They don't neatly, <laughs> neatly fall in line and present you. Oh, and definitely during this crisis, I remember thinking, why now? If the business crisis had a six-month gap and then there was a family crisis, I could deal with them both. I could manage. Now, I think, thank God, they both came at the same time. If they'd come staggered, I could probably have just a way about managed my way through because they all came together. I had to almost delete the version of Connor of the past and recreate one that was capable of getting through. And, you know, prior to 2008, I think 
When I did compassion, it was theatrical compassion. If you told me that you were struggling with business, you were struggling with sales, I could act like a compassionate individual, but inside I would think that wouldn't happen to me. You know, I wouldn't have that struggle. I've got these things sorted. After 2008, I learned that if you're struggling, I too will probably go through this struggle. And uh, I can, my job is not to take away your pain, but you know, in the same way this woman in the train station said to me is, you would never have this problem if you did not have the resources in you capable to overcome it. But what we sometimes lose sight of is what the full range of resources in our life are. And I think the power of the group here this week, the power of forum, the power of having friends that truly know who you are and what's important, what your dream is, is sometimes when you lose sight of your full potential, they can remind you that there's bits of you that you've forgotten. They can remind you that there is growth that you are now able to bring to things. So I do think, you know, Mr. Matt's looking into me and seeing a bigger version of me my forum, listening and just looking at me, knowing that I have the strength to be able to get through this and to do it well. And my forum being able to look at me and know that there's sometimes I've been playing it a bit small and just with a look, I can know that I have more to give. Yes. So, I mean, uh, on that topic, can you, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about what you do when you're not waxing philosophically on podcasts <laughs> in Washington, D.C. I mean, I know for the last few days you've been one of the, the speakers on the, the Global Leadership Academy and you've taken us through great kind of processes of learning how to communicate effectively and what the importance of communicating is and creating these stories and sharing knowledge. What, what, what do you do from nine to five on, on a regular week or if there is any such thing as a regular week? I think, yeah, my, there's no such thing as a regular week. Um, <laughs> but I've, over the last 16 years, taught 45,000 people, or it's MBA programs, executive MBA programs, programs like Global Leadership Academy here in EO. And you know, w what I say I teach is uh, how to communicate with impact. And I say, the summary of that, there's four things you need to do to communicate well. Have something to say, say it well, say it with intensity and connect with the, with the audience. And to have something to say, the most powerful thing we have to say is our own life experience. So to have something to say, if you wanna talk about being inspired, you've gotta find inspiration, you've gotta overcome things, you've gotta set goals and achieve them. Uh, I love this a quote I wrote down today that it's, it's not the achievements we should be amazed by. It's the obstacles you had to overcome to get these achievements. So, you, you know, there to climb Everest, it's not the climbing of Everest that's inspiring. It's overcoming 60 days of cold and tired and not sleeping and still moving forward and not losing sight of why you're on the mountain. So have something to say is live life, learn to, to experience life. Say it well, say it often. The first time you tell a story, it'll often not make too much sense. The second time, it probably is even worse. 
But if you tell your story a hundred times, you start to get quite good at getting the story out. And the tool that I offer to you all is use the webcam, record yourself. If you bore yourself, you are boring other people. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we had the feedback from a few people this week that said, I don't like this video stuff. And I said, well, do you think you sound any different to other people? Uh, it, Ma Malcolm Gladwell tells us it takes 10,000 hours to reach world class. So, you know, recording yourself five minutes a day, it's going to take a few weeks to get to the stage where you, you can speak and you actually interest yourself. But if you begin this practice, it doesn't take 10,000 hours to start to notice a difference. Uh, with two hours, with 10 hours, with 20 hours of being intentional about you, your use of words, sharing stories, you start to become very impactful. So have something to say, live life, say it well, tell stories, make, record those, keep recording until you actually like the sound of your own voice, of your own stories, of how the things fit together. Intensity is you've got to look like you care. You could have great stories and lived a great life, but if, if you cannot connect in a way that it looks like this matters, there's enthusiasm. Someone said to me this year that uh, enthusiasm is spirituality made living. To not be enthusiastic is, is to not put the miracle of human life into your life. And you know, when I arrive home to my family, if I come through the door, look a little bit apathetic and I say to my daughter Ali or Sophia, how was your day? I'll get nothing back. If I come through the door and I start dancing in the middle of the room, my two-year-old will be up and dancing and jumping around and laughing and giggling and running around in circles in a moment. And I think adults are just five-year-olds dressed in suits. <laughs> we, we grow up in, in some ways, but there's a tiny piece of us that is still a five-year-old. And that five-year-old within each of us really responds to enthusiasm from other people. It really responds to encouragement from other people. So this intensity, even when people don't look like five-year-olds, hidden behind those yes. many, many layers is a little five-year-old desperate to connect and feel that life is worth living. We, we've done a thing at our business, Nice Work, um, where I, I tell my team, like, tell the client how much you like it. Just say, like, I want you to say those words. Be like, I am so happy to show you this work because I think it is the greatest thing that I have created in a while. And it sets a scene that is much more positive. It doesn't matter what the work is. As long as you like it, they will probably like it too because yep. they've now heard you that you enjoy what you've created for them and then you show it to them and they go, ah, I also enjoy that as opposed to presenting it neutrally and then they can make the choice yep. whether they're going up or down, you, you slide them on the scale to up first. Well, and I think, you know, this thing of why is it important to you? And many people, when they talk, they sound like the brochure. And when we sound like the brochure, when we sound like something we're reading off the, the website description of a company, that we're just boring the other person. I think in life, each of us needs to stop and see how what we do connects to who we are and, and what importance it brings to us. And you know, Viktor Frankl said there's six source, there's six emotional needs. Uh, and if anyone wants to, they can find this online, so we won't go into that. But 
you've got to find out how life gives meaning to you. And each of us are different. So what is meaningful to me will not be the same as what is meaningful to you. And each of the listeners will need to find what are the unique set of circumstances that really make their life come alive. So if you have something to say, live a full life. If you want to talk about betrayal, you've got to allow people to betray you. <laughs> if you want to talk about trust, you've got to trust. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, sometimes I see people that they would like their life to be like a novel that says, chapter one, all is good. Chapter two, still good. Chapter three, everything's working. Chapter four, still good. Not a great book. <laughs> not, a great, not a great book, but no. so many people seem to live hoping that their life is going to turn out that way, that there'll be no major setbacks and it'll just be a steady escalator ride up to the end. And I think if you speak to any mentor, if you go and read any book of people who've done great things, you'll see it has never been an easy ride. We visited Abraham Lincoln's cottage. He, was, he failed 14 times to be elected and he still kept going. going. Uh, many of us haven't really even been rejected once and we've, we're still licking our wounds years later. And I know I certainly allow setbacks to really knock me off course much more than, than I would like. So we're on have something to say, live a life, say it well, practice with the webcam, say it often, ask other people for their stories, ask other people why things matter to them, why they do their work, and don't let them get away with the brochure talk. Version of it. The brochure version. Intensity is put, your, put enthusiasm into your life. As you say, getting your team to start off just looking the client in the eye and saying, this work was important to me because you know, I love what we've done here. Even if it's just acting, you're accidentally going to find that it does have some meaning to you. So probably just using those words, this is important to me because will force you to, to, to go, well, why is this important to me? I suppose you can only get away with the brochure answer so many times <laughs> and eventually you will have to start truly thinking about why it is important to you. Well, I think you're there. People can live a whole life of, of apathy. And sadly, what school seems to be very good in, in creating is cynical apathy. If I look at the smartest 14, 15, 16-year-olds, whether it's Spain, I'm sure South Africa, whether it's the US, we seem to take the most intelligent, most resourceful people when they're young, and school puts them into a state of cynical apathy. And they can see the hypocrisy behind life. I remember as a kid, we had to read a book um, the, I don't know if it's the Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield. And he, he just sees the emptiness between, behind all the words. He sees so many people as cynics and hypocrites. And he gives up. And I think that there's an element that you've got to accept that people, they aspire to be better and they usually aren't as good. But we've still got to love them for the attempt. And we've got to love ourselves for the attempt. There's a huge theme of forgiving yourself running through the, the Global Leadership Academy. And mm. I think it is that idea that even 
you try, and even if you get it wrong, at least you tried with intent. Yeah. And then the lesson is to just try again and try again with intent. Yeah. And if you do that enough times, eventually you'll look back and realize that you have moved somewhere from where you were to some new place. But I think I if, you, the... if you don't try at all, you'll you will one hundred percent stay in the same place that you are right yep. now. I think the the human being is the only species alive on this planet that grows to half of its potential and stops. No tree grows to half its size and says, actually, I'm comfy here. Any higher and the wind will probably catch me and it'll be cold. The only species on this planet that, you know, on the one has infinite potential. We can travel to the moon. We can create things that never existed before. But at the same time, we have the capacity to grow to a tiny percentage of our potential and decide to stop growing. No tree does it, no animal does it, but human beings have the capacity both to be infinitely powerful and be infinitely dumb in stopping way before their full potential, just being comfortable. And I think you know, no, nothing worthwhile is within your comfort zone. No one celebrates the person that climbed the 200-foot hill. <laughs> you know, we celebrate Shaylee James. because she climbed. Yeah, this is James. <laughs> he, he walked to the pub. <laughs> Big hand for great James. man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... You know, Shaylee, we saw she's climbed Everest and, and six more. But uh, she doesn't come and show us a piece of the summit of Everest. She talks about who she has become in overcoming the obstacle that was Everest. So it's actually, we don't really want to see the summit of Everest. We want to see Shaylee and see what this journey has done to her. How has she changed from the 19-year-old that, that heard about the idea to now the 35-year-old who has climbed seven peaks with a team and has gone on to use that, that position, the platform that she's built to, to go and affect the lives of hundreds of young Nepalese girls. So, you know, and she def definitely puts enthusiasm into her life. Yes. You can see why people follow her. You she's can a see. tiny human, but she presents <laughs> a... a, a an aura of someone of yeah. 10 times the stature. But she admitted that she had six months where she lost the passion. Uh, and I think it's important that we don't see certain enthusiastic people that they've always been this way. That There are times in life when the drudgery and the, the number of no's and the amount of rejection, the people that don't understand does get to even someone who, who has the passion of Shaylee. With Warren, I don't know. Warren is one that I think sometimes, you know, he seems to have had clear from such a young age what's important, what's right, and able to direct his energy to it. I feel you know, I've spent many years lost and my sense of what purpose is, you know, there's talk today, when your core is clear, you're not seeking after the opinions of others. I feel I'm still quite hungry to get the approval of others. It matters to me. When you yes. were sitting there with your feedback form, I was looking away, but I wanted to see that I was going to be rated highly. So clearly there's, there's still work to be done in my life of being able to be like the monk that George spoke about that no matter what knows that he is good. So to finish the fourth, have something to say, live a good life. Say it well, say it often. Say it with intensity, put enthusiasm into your days, put enthusiasm into your family, 
put enthusiasm into the time with, with people. The fourth, connect. And I, I found a question this year from uh, a man called Dan Sullivan. I have been listening to a lot of Dan Sullivan podcasts. And the question that I've taken from Dan Sullivan, I've started to ask to almost anyone around me, is three years from today, what needs to happen so that you are personally and professionally fulfilled? And I've started to ask this to my team. I've started to ask this to my family. Uh, sometimes I get a look of, huh, what are you talking about? But it allows me to listen to what matters to them. And very often I am surprised by the things that are important to them. And this year, asking this question and, and learning to shut up and listen and, and not impose my ideas, not fill the space with my thinking. I've learned people are motivated for many, many different things. And people find completely, you know, the same moment is boring to one and deeply enriching to another. And connecting is, is starting to see, you know, what does quality of life mean to the people around you? And very often, it's a very easy thing to help them achieve something that would give them great quality of life. But until you allow them to tell you what fulfillment looks like personally and what fulfillment looks like professionally, you don't know how you can help them. And I've been guilty of trying to help people by giving them what I think they want. There's a saying that in a lot of relationships, you have two people who are trying to give and it's still not working. And it's because I give you what's easy for me to give. And I think when we start to really become leaders uh, and positive role models is when we stop giving what's easy for me to give. And I start asking these questions, what's important to you? And instead of giving what's easy for me to give, I start to give what you most need. And in many cases, we, we lost the ability to listen to understand what do people need from us. And often there's so many signals coming from people of what's important to them, what are the conversations they're trying to have, where do they spend their money, what are the goals they write down in their books, what do they put around them, what's, what are the photos on their desks. But we don't see it because we're so locked in what we think is important. I remember many years ago, I love books. If you come to my house, every wall that hasn't got uh, an obstacle has a bookshelf. <laughs> you come into my office, three walls are bookshelves. Uh, most of them are too deep in books. If I meet you and you explain something for two minutes, I know what book I would recommend to you. So for the first 35 odd years of my life, what do you think I gave as gifts to my family? What do you think as I gave as gifts to friends? books and uh, my youngest brother they bought a house changed it up and after a year of of making it just as they wanted it we had a dinner and i remember arriving to his house beautiful sitting room beautiful curved screen plasma tv dining room laid out better than a michelin three-star restaurant no books Upstairs in the bedroom, beautiful, no books. In the kitchen, eight recipe books. 
What do you think I'd given him every Christmas, every birthday for all the years? I'd given what was easy for me to give. I'd given what's important to me. Uh, my brother, what he values is, is something else. And what he values and what he is excellent at, he loves cooking. He loves preparing food. He loves helping others. Uh, so if I give him a gadget for the kitchen, that's going to stay in his life. Yes. If I give him a book, it needs to be a recipe book. And I think so many times we are making a valid attempt to give, but we're giving what's easy for us to give. And communication, I'd often say, if you want to summarize it down into one rather than four points, there's two things. What I want to say, what you need to hear. What I want to say is not communication. I need to do the work to give you what you need to hear. And each person is going to need a slightly different message in a slightly different way. And I need to stop, get out of myself, ask you questions, look at your life, be deeply interested in what is your journey. You know, when I came into the room, very, very often when I'm asked to stand up and speak, I get stuck into my head, I enter into a panic, what do I have to say? Mouth becomes dry. And what I try and do in the minutes before I stand out and, and speak is just to remember each person in this room has a whole life to reach in this point. And I have to look at each individual and, and imagine what's the whole life, what have, what have they been through to get into this room? What are their parents and their grandparents, all the ancestors got through to get into this room here together in this moment? And when I connect to that, I lose a little bit the ego-driven self and, and want to connect to the people. So that's... communicating, have something to say, say it well, say it with intensity and connect with the people in the audience. And to summarize it all, get out of what I want to say and get over to what you need to hear from me. Well, I think that's a lovely thought to end on. Thank you very much, Connor. I think anyone who's listening, if you are, I think there's so many lessons in this this podcast, hard to summarize. But if, if you have had hard times and you have been knocked down, you know, I think look inside and find the strength to just get up and keep going. And uh, I think there's lots of... Well, I'd say look inside is a dangerous one. So... <laughs> There was a phrase today, you know, if you're really struggling, get up and help someone. And, and think, outside. <laughs> outside. Get outside. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was once asked, you know, is there any such thing as a bad goal? And my answer at this stage is actually no. Anything that gets you off the sofa and out into the world and, and pushing to get somewhere, you're going to learn in the process. Uh, it was a friend of mine at university, and, and when he was young, his goals in life, three. $10,000 Rolex, a Ferrari, and a blonde wife. And those were what he wanted and what he sought after when he was young. And it led him to, to study hard, to work hard, to get a job that paid enough that he could save to have the $10,000 Rolex and the Ferrari. And actually, by the time he could afford the Rolex and the Ferrari, he didn't want, he didn't want them. But he was now in a position to have them. To have, well, to, to actually build for the next set of goals. And I think our goals are always set by a younger version of ourselves. And that younger version doesn't know as much as we do now. So that there needs to be this 
process whereby you allow your intuition to tell you what are the things that are important to me and you chase after them knowing that along the journey you're going to actually discover that there's a deeper goal, there's a change in the goals. Uh, I haven't found the answer to how do you know the balance? How do you know when to give up on a goal versus how do you know when to continue? That's one question I haven't answered, but I suspect, you know, the, the voice of fear that we have, the voice that excuses us is, is not the way of understanding whether you should give up on a goal or not or not. So if you could issue one challenge to the audience, what, what would that be? I think it would be write down your purpose. Uh, and I think I also need this write down your purpose as a parent, write down your purpose as a leader in a business, write down your purpose in terms of your health. Be clear about what you want to achieve. I think imagination is the greatest gift of humanity. Imagination allows us to see something that doesn't exist. An architect doesn't begin to build a house until he's completed the house on paper. I think you shouldn't be building a business unless you've completed the business on paper. And Shaley, you don't accidentally one day step onto the summit of Everest. That was a plan in her life mm. for 10 years. For 10 years, she knew that she wanted one day to step onto the summit of Everest. Anything magnificent that you're going to create will not come by accident and will not come by just picking up little opportunities along the way. Uh, you know, maybe I can finish with, with one that any young listener should probably pause the podcast and not listen to the rest. <laughs> I would never share this with in, in, in a business school class, but I think that the, the listeners here can cope with this type of knowledge. So there's an Irish rugby team and they're celebrating Friday in the pub. And one of the players has had his third pint of Guinness and he's hit the moment when it's time for the bathroom. So he, he jumps up and he rushes. And in the urgency to get into the bathroom, he reaches the urinal and real rush. And as he starts, five euros falls into the urinal and it's now covered in piss. And he finishes the job and another of the rugby team members comes into the room. He looks and he sees the five euros in the urinal. He says, oh man, you've got a problem. What are you gonna do? And the first man reaches into his wallet, pulls out 50 euros, throws it in on top and then he reaches in and pulls out the 55 euros and he says for five euros I wasn't going to get my hand covered in piss but for 55 euros yes <laughs> and I think this is a silly story but don't pick up the five dollar opportunities if it's not worth throwing 10 times more in don't pick up the little shiny things along the way the projects that will make of your life will not be made of tiny little $5 opportunities, picking up pennies along the way. If you're going to start on something, decide that you're willing to put in 10 times the initial effort because that way, once it's going, you're committed to finish. I think we make a mess of our life because we pick up the little shiny opportunities rather than saying no to everything little and only doing the things that we're willing to put in 10 times what the entry price would be. Well, thank you very much, Connor. Yeah, that was 
very inspirational. Um, you've been listening to radio. This is a, the, an exciting Washington-based episode. Um, this podcast was created um, because of the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. If you would like to hear a little bit more about it, you can go to eonetwork.org. If you are a business owner looking to learn and grow, this is definitely the place for you. Um, special thanks to our sponsors who make our chapter possible, to Bidvest Car Hire, Bidvest McCarthy, uh, 10XE and Labornet. You guys are absolutely amazing. and. We hope that all the best things in the world befall you because you have um, given us all this opportunity. Thank you. And I just want to do a quick shout out to Rich Mulholland, who is not here. He's probably playing on some sort of a motorized scooter or a skateboard now. So uh, we miss you and we'll catch you guys in the next one. Uh, I heard a lovely thought today from Carlos, which is um, knowledge is something that has to be shared. So if you know someone who could, who could, with listening to what we've talked about today please do do them the honor and the favor and pass this on thank you very much goodbye